Hi, everyone, and welcome to Tyndall Talks, the Tyndall Center's official podcast. I'm Renee from the Tyndall Center at the University of East Anglia. Our episode today is about biomass and why it is key for achieving net zero. Simply put, biomass energy is renewable energy that comes from plants and animals. Some biomass energy sources include crops like corn, soybeans, and sugarcane. According to the UK Parliament, bioenergy is currently the second largest source of renewable energy in the UK, generating 12.9% of the total UK electricity supply in 2021. How can biomass energy help us reach net zero and what about concerns on deforestation and land use? Our guest today is Andrew Welfel of the Tyndall Center at the University of Manchester. Dr. Andrew Welfel is a Senior Research Fellow in the Tyndall Center within the Department of Engineering for Sustainability. Andrew has a background and interests in environmental, energy, and engineering themes and a strong track record undertaking sustainability, climate change, and bioenergy research through developing modeling toolkits and analysis methodologies. Andrew is a topic representative within the current UK Supergen Bioenergy Hub Research Program, where he works with academics, NGOs, industry, and government to promote the growth of a sustainable UK bioenergy sector. Andrew is also the challenge lead for Net Zero, part of the University of Manchester's Sustainable Futures Network. This role brings responsibility for coordinating researchers and research activity relevant to net zero emissions objectives across the University of Manchester. Hi, Andrew, and welcome to the Tyndall Talks. Hello, thank you for having me. Yes, um, I'm so excited to be talking to you about biomass energy and your work. I think there's no better person to talk about this. You seem to be engaged in a lot of biomass energy work. So just to start off, I did a bit of intro about bioenergy, but can you explain a little bit more about it? How does bioenergy work? Uh, of course, yeah, you did a great introduction, but uh, thanks for that. So basically, bioenergy is energy that's derived from biomass. And what is biomass? Biomass is basically anything organic, any organic material. Uh, that can be material that's grown, that can be plants, trees. Uh, it can be organic material that we generate through our, our processes. For example, it could be uh, wastes and residues generated by industry or by the agricultural sector. Uh, if you look, everyone looks in their waste bin in their room, wherever they're sat at the minute. Uh, if you find something organic in there, that is potential biomass and a potential uh, opportunity to generate energy. Uh, it's also organic material from restaurants. Basically, anything organic is biomass, and biomass can be converted into bioenergy and biofuels. Uh, and it's quite an interesting technology and a quite interesting prospect because it's very flexible. As in, there's all sorts of different types of biomass, as we discussed. And you can turn that into fuels, you can turn it into heat, into power, uh, into transport fuels, fuels for planes, uh, also chemicals, materials. So it's a highly flexible process and it's highly variable. And that's why it's so interesting to governments and industry alike. That's really interesting. I didn't know that anything organic can actually be biomass energy. Um, so just a follow up to this. If, if anything organic can be biomass energy, I'm sure there's like some more popular like crops or organic materials that's being used. Um, in the UK, what's the most popular one? And maybe in general, or does it matter like where you are in the world? Well, when, when people historically think, when people think of biomass or bioenergy, they automatically, the first thing I think about is cutting down trees and turning like, burning them. Uh, and yes, that is bioenergy, but in theory it's not. 
it's not the bioenergy that many people work on, not the, the bioenergy that many people uh, cry for or, 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 or work, work towards. Uh, essentially, there's, lot, there's wherever you are in the world, there's, everyone has different types of resources. Uh, so some countries are very good at growing certain types of crops. Uh, and those are potentially good bioenergy feedstocks. We call it a biomass resource a feedstock if it's used uh, within a process to produce bioenergy. So, for example, in certain countries like Brazil, they produce lots of sugarcane, and that's a large bioenergy feedstock. In the UK, uh, we have we have lots of opportunities from our, our processes. For example, our, our agricultural sector, we generate lots of residues such as straw, uh, such as animal muck, whatever it may be. That's a big opportunity. Uh, we have lots of industries generating all sorts of organic material, whether that's a, a, a uh, industry side making furniture for example there will be wastes from that which organic offcuts there's opportunities there and we also have land as every country has land where we have the opportunity to choose what we grow uh, and we can grow crops specifically for bioenergy or for biofuels and those are, those are called energy crops and i'm sure energy crops is a, is, a, is a word that everyone talks about so energy crops are growing specifically for bioenergy but bioenergy necess doesn't necessarily have to be energy crops there's potentially much more opportunities from non-energy crops, as in the, the stuff that we may throw away already, or things that we may send to the landfill site. So there's all sorts of organic materials that can be used for bioenergy that go well beyond those trees that people think about uh, when you think about bioenergy being. How does bioenergy work, actually? How can it help us reach net zero? Is it clean energy? Like, how does it work? How does it work? Okay, the secrets of bioenergy is all around this thing called biogenic carbon. Uh, and that's a fancy word for saying carbon that's locked up from the atmosphere uh, through photosynthesis. So, you know, plants, plants grow, the sun shines and plants have this wonderful uh, ability to lock up carbon into plant material. So CO2 from the atmosphere, carbon is locked up into plant material and that is biomass. And plants grow and they get bigger, they lock up more carbon. Uh, but also plants get eaten by animals and that carbon becomes animal uh, or, or that, that plant gets cut down and turns into a product and that becomes that becomes another type of biomass. So biomass is essentially sourced from uh, CO2 from the atmosphere that's locked up uh, through photosynthesis. Uh, and this is this is the, the magic of bioenergy and being low carbon and net zero is, is that if you can continue the process of locking up carbon from the atmosphere, uh, then you use the material and you release that carbon uh, when you convert it to energy, for example, in the simplest terms, if you burn it, that same CO2 that was locked up is then released uh, to back to the atmosphere. So, for, so to, to summarise that, so you have a one-way ticket for carbon from the atmosphere into the material, into biomass. Uh, that biomass may be turned into something like a pellet uh, or some kind of fuel. When you turn that pellet into energy, you burn it, some chemical conversion, the CO2 that was locked up from the atmosphere is then released back to the atmosphere. And as long as you keep, as in producing the plants, or you keep the cycle going, then that carbon is in balance with what's in the atmosphere. And there's an, there's an added uh, secret weapon that people talk about called bioenergy with carbon capture and storage. And this is, for example, if you were able to, when you when you burn or combust the biomass or convert it to energy, if you're able to take that carbon instead of releasing it back to the atmosphere. You actually store it somewhere or you store it in a material, you store it in the ground in geological storage. Uh, that can be a mechanism to take carbon from the atmosphere, put it into a product, uh, whether that's a pellet or furniture, sometime down the line, uh, turn that into energy and store that carbon into the ground. And that could be a one way ticket uh, for carbon from the atmosphere 
to long-term storage. So the secret of bioenergy and being um, carbon neutral is all on those biogenic emissions. And bioenergy is can be low carbon as long as, I always say, as long as people don't do silly things along the way. As long as you're not transporting something from A to B with a highly unsuitable form of transport or you're not doing something very silly with the land or you're not you're not doing silly things as uh, things that are inefficient using inefficient technologies uh, converting land that shouldn't be converted so bioenergy can provide a very low carbon form of energy uh, in in balance with the atmosphere as long as people are sensible and as long as sustainability rules and criteria are followed Thank you. That is a very good explanation of how bioenergy works and how it can help us with sustainability. But, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about biomass energy and their concerns for, as you mentioned earlier, deforestation and land use. Like, I would hear some people also say like, okay, but where do we put all this land that we need for all the crops for bioenergy? And won't our, you know, or won't we transform our transform agriculture and and just plant all these crops that's usually used for biomass. So how can we make sure that, you know, bioenergy does not lead to deforestation or more um, land use uh, changes? And uh, what about carbon emissions that come from land use change? Okay, there's an awful lot in your question that on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we, let's put We've, we've already kind of uh, already tried to highlight that the bioenergy and biomass goes well beyond just growing stuff and cutting down trees. But if we do if we do focus on that, uh, there's different types of bioenergy. We two two of the main ones we kind of classify. We, we talk about traditional bioenergy and modern bioenergy. Uh, and traditional bioenergy is very much uh, collecting material. Maybe that's forestry material, residues, or whatever. You're cutting down trees and using that in the simplest terms to to make heat do cooking and around the world many many people do that as their main source of energy uh, and this is a type of bioenergy that people such as myself and, and the whole bioenergy sector is trying to uh trying to mitigate trying to stop because this form of bioenergy as I, I acknowledge is very unsustainable because uh 99 times out of 100 people will go out and collect the firewood or they'll buy it from their local producer so who's collected it from somewhere else and if you think back to the, the last question that biogenic emissions only being sustainable if you keep on planting the plants to, to complete that cycle. Uh, if you are cutting down trees or whatever, and you are turning it into bioenergy and not replanting trees, then obviously that's a the, the carbon, the, the, the loop is cut, and uh, suddenly you are you're creating deforestation, and it's also unsustainable from a bioenergy and carbon perspective uh, with into the atmosphere. So we kind of champion an idea of this modern bioenergy being part of a sustainable system, as in having a growing material that it, once it is harvested, it is then then re, re, replanted and the, the continual cycles uh, and that guarantees or it, it vastly increases the odds of your process being low carbon and sustainable. Uh, there's also all sorts of many sustainability criteria out there as in you can't use certain types of land uh, to grow things on, for example, land with high carbon contents. You don't want to, basically, you don't want to mess with the soil. You don't want to release carbon that's been locked up for a long period of time. So there's all sorts of rules and regulations out there about what you can and can't do with the land. And as long as we follow those regulations, uh, then in theory, again, uh, we, sh we should be in a, on a sustainable path of bioenergy. But having said that, there are all sorts of unscrupulous operators out there, and uh, those are the people we need to clamp down on. And... Just maybe another follow-up question in terms of, you know, the, I guess, some of the criticisms that biomass energy is getting. Um, there's also 
I've I've read an issue of you know justice when it comes to biomass. Like other people have been concerned about, for example, developed countries trying to uh, use land from uh, global south countries to be able to produce all these crops so that they can use them. Is this something that you've heard it before? And what do you think about this? Uh, yes, very very much so, and uh, it is happening all around the world in certain countries. Uh, and there are there are positives and negatives to this. Uh, some countries, for example, they're, they're producing a crop that they're exporting, and it's a highly lucrative export because they do it at scale, and they're producing an energy crop uh, or, or a crop that can be, for example, we talk about we talked about sugarcane already. Uh, you could produce that crop. You could produce bioethanol from it. Or you could also produce sugar and other other products. So it's a highly uh, valuable commodity that they can export, but uh, the, uh, the cost of that is that if you expand and expand and expand uh, and you do it unsustainably, then in the theory, you could be clearing lands, you may be, may be moving families, you may, you basically you're impacting who owns the land, you're impacting the land use previously, you're impacting the carbon balances. So if you do things at a large scale and you don't do them unsustainably, then there's all sorts of risks uh, to people, to the environment, to soil, to health, all, all the rest of it. But on the upside, you're also producing potential jobs and uh, value for your economy. And that's what the, the ultimate reason why, why governments are doing that. Uh, but we very much argue uh, in the research group, in the similar sense that people do it sustainably. And uh, yeah, there's all sorts of unsustainable practices out there currently. Yeah. So in terms of the sustainability of practices, how do we how do we balance this? Of course, you said there are pros and cons, right? But how do we make sure that I guess people are not being exploited, land is not being taken away, um, but at the same time also give I guess opportunities like jobs to to the people. Exactly. Well, there's all sorts of rules and regulations. For example, if you as a producer in any part of the world, if you want to sell your your feedstock or your biomass to the UK, or you want to sell it to Europe, you're going to have to abide by the rules and regulations. And we have specific laws that we are only allowed to, to buy crops that have been produced on certain land and uh, basically certain sustainability criteria that mainly cover the carbon and the biodiversity elements. So that's the legal requirements. And then you have to be, I'm sure people try and get around that, but that bit, and that's up to the governments to make those rules more enforceable. Uh, to do that. But alongside that, there's all sorts of voluntary schemes, such as the round table on sustainable palm oil or sugarcane, whatever, whatever it may be. And these voluntary schemes uh, basically focus on all the issues you've been talking about, for example, producing jobs, uh, governance of the land, etc. Many, many sustainability indicators. Uh, and and these, these voluntary schemes are paid for by the large companies and they're used as almost a badge of honour saying, oh, we've achieved X certification level in this place. And in, and in a growing number of cases, people, again, in Europe and the UK, will only buy resource or buy feedstocks or chemicals or energy that has certain levels of certification. And by, by no means are these certification schemes perfect, and they're always improving, and there's also gaps, and people are always shooting at them. Uh, but the, they're the best that we have currently, and they are steadily getting more, more, they're getting better and better at what they do. Uh, but it's, it, yeah, it's an ongoing battle. And uh, we, we do a lot of research in the University of Manchester in the Tyndall Centre about mapping sustainability of such processes. We've got lots of work in this space and we, we constantly, we're constantly arguing, arguing about things need to be more stringent or these focus on this rather than this, etc, etc. But at the same time, it, the, what is currently there is the best thing we have. 
and we're not in a situation to rip it down and start again so we need to prove it well that it's actually good to know that there are policies in place and that you know at least governments and other i guess institutions and sectors are trying to be more sustainable about it and it's great to know that the Tyndall Center is also doing some research about it. Um, so now we go to maybe the best practices. Maybe you've already outlined some, but what are the best practices on using bioenergy? Oh, that's, that's a very, very open, open-ended question. But I guess the ba- best practices depend on where you are and what you want. Uh, so, for mm-hmm. example, in the UK here, uh, historically, we've been using lots of biomass in, in, as, in the form of pellets to produce power. power. And we're doing that because we had lots of legacy large power stations and we, we stopped using coal in them and we converted them to use pellets instead. Uh, and that's fine because that means we're producing power with a lower carbon intensity than that would have been produced if it was still using coal. So that means we're, we in the UK, we're prioritizing lots of resources, lots of biomass for power production. But at the same time, there's been a bit of a revolution or an ongoing revolution in the UK that we're, we've got lots of wind turbines yeah. everywhere and solar panels and our, and our power may be produced from different forms of renewable technologies. And I, I believe and, and Tindall Center believe that bioenergy should be very much part of uh, the mix of renewable technologies. Uh, so that being the case, uh, I think there's opportunities uh, for producing or prioritizing biomass resource, which at the end of the day is a precious resource. So why are we not using it for heat or for more valuable uh, chemicals or for example why are we not using it for sustainable aviation fuel that's the big one at the minute as in decarbonizing the aviation sector which is a, a hard nut to crack and sustainable aviation fuels or SAF is one of the major kind of uh, components that people are targeting uh, but I guess the best use of bioenergy is where we're using what we have available within our, our geography uh, we're using materials that no one else is using or, or, or otherwise be sent to landfill uh, and we're using them locally to where we're where Using them, we do we do lots of projects, uh, mapping mapping resources. Uh, so where are resources within a different geography? So within it, one one example, if you if you know you have an industrial site in, in a location, and you know this industrial site or this farm produces a certain amount of biomass resource, the optimal use of that resource is to use it locally uh, to decarbonize activities on that industry site or on that farm or to somehow plug that energy into the grid, whether that's a gas or power. And can you say that the UK specifically is doing, you know, a, a good good practices on using biomass energy? Uh, the UK, as, as you said before, UK, the bioenergy in the UK is a leading te- renewable energy technology. It's very much part of this mix of technologies. It's not, it's not seen as the answer, it's, part, it's seen as part of the mix. And bioenergy is quite special in that it can provide a dispatchable form of energy. And that means it's energy that you can use when you need it, as in it doesn't need the wind to, wind to blow or the sun to shine. And you can use it alongside those other technologies to kind of balance energy demands, as in you can, you can release the energy from the biomass uh, to balance those other variations. And the UK very much sees that and has ambitions to increase the role of bioenergy. Uh, on all, all fronts, it's exploring it's exploring for heat, power, transport fuels, chemicals. It's exploring what can be done. And we, we're about to see a, a, a new bioenergy strategy in the UK, which will very much lay out the ambitions of what, where we'd like to be in the UK. And I think technologies such as bioenergy, carbon capture and storage are very much going to be leading the, leading the way in that. As in bioenergy offers something very unique that other renewables can't offer in that space, especially storing carbon. Well, thanks for all that information. 
And I guess sometimes our audience also would, would like to know more about topics. Um, can you direct our audience to where they can learn more about bioenergy or maybe if they want to, I don't know, get involved somehow in research or just maybe learn about it? Yeah, well, I'm obviously obliged to say please come to our Tinder websites and uh, look, <laughs> look me up, look us up, what we're doing. Uh, so I've got lots of uh, research and, and my, my colleagues at Manchester have lots of research on, on the various sites at the University of Manchester. Uh, I'm also part of this UK uh, research network called the Supergen Bioenergy Hub. Uh, they produce, they're basically a network of, of bioenergy researchers from across the UK, uh, as well as industry and policy people. And they produce all sorts of easy to read documents of what is biomass, what is bioenergy, what, what are we doing in that space? So as a first port of call, uh, Tintal Centre and the Supergen are definitely places to look at. Or if not, please get in touch with me and I'm happy to answer any questions. Uh, thank you. Thanks for joining us today, Andrew. I hope our listeners have gained a better understanding of biomass energy and why it is important in achieving net zero. And again, if you would like to learn more, please do visit Tyndall Center, uh, Manchester, or you can contact Andrew also. His uh, contact and email uh, details is in the Tyndall Center website. Thank you for listening to us today and see you in the next episode of the Tyndall Talks.